his comment was like, what do you want to, like, they want me to talk about not traveling? I don't understand. <laughs> You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 380. Every time I say these numbers, I'm amazed. Uh, I'm counting. Like I'm gonna run. I ran out of fingers and toes a long time ago. (laughs) Uh, I just, yeah. I mean, we're coming up on how long did you say, Seth? Ten years. Ten years. So we're gonna have to do something special. Maybe another live show with our faces. Maybe that'd be weird. Or maybe maybe we should get together. I don't know. We'll see. That would also be weird. That's just that's just crazy. Have you looked at what airfares are lately? (laughs) Seriously, I actually I tried to buy tickets to go to the Freddies, which are now next week, I guess. And could not for the life of me find anything like less than $500 round trip, Boston to New Orleans. And it was more like 700 for anything. That was a reasonable flight time. Oh, they're in New Orleans this year? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it's just been everything I look at is just nuts. I, w- I want to come back to that because Seth has some, I mean, travel woes, I guess. But we'll come, we'll come back to those. We have to do follow up first, gentlemen. Yes. Also, your names are Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Everybody knows that by now. Unless it's the first time they're listening to us. But anyway. Wait, uh, what? You're Fosma You're Seth Moon. Miller. I'm Fosma Moon. <laughs> did, I say, did I say it wrong? <laughs> no. <laughs> God. Now I feel like a crazy person. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, I mean, you let me talk on your show, so you sort of are. But okay. <laughs> uh, So, Alaska is admitting that the pilots aren't at fault for their delays slash cancellations slash just erops that are going on that are still going on to this day are they still going on there was so there's the operational meltdown i guess by the time this comes out two weeks ago like around april 1st april 3rd that weekend yep um and it happened to coincide with uh some informational picketing uh that the pilots were doing it was like down the second and third and a lot of people quickly jumped to the conclusion that if the pilots were out picketing, it must be a, like a proper strike. And that's why the flights were all getting canceled. And I'll say Alaska airlines did not do a good job of correcting that yeah. uh, sentiment early on and let a bunch of stories go out and news, you know, I don't know if the news stations didn't request a comment or if Alaska just was slow in responding or what, but uh, has come out now, you know, a week later saying, Oh no, it's not the pilot's fault. The, the informational picketing is completely reasonable. Um, we're negotiating in for a contract. And so that was, you know, there is some uh, acrimony there, uh, mm-hmm. but they are, they acknowledge that they're actually behind on training new pilots to come on. And they're 63, I think short of where they thought they'd be right now. And that is part of like the operational challenges. They don't have enough pilots to meet the schedule that they had previously committed to. And they're not the only ones. I mean, so this is this is hitting up. This is hitting JetBlue as well, right? It's hitting JetBlue. JetBlue is finally acknowledged that it's terrible and needs to uh, further scale back. Right? They like, oh, fuel prices are going up. Maybe we should cut back. Okay, fine. And then, but they've cut back like three or four percent for April and eight percent in May, I think. And now they're saying eight to ten percent of what they had previously put on the schedule for the rest of the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is two weeks in a row. JetBlue had terrible operational weekends. Uh, I think the weekend of the second and third, they canceled like 30% of their flights. The weekend of the ninth and 10th, there was Boston on the eighth had like 
all of a sudden I got out, which was kind of a miracle. We got out on time and whatever, but like 15% of the flights out of Boston were canceled and another 30% were delayed. Like some mm. just truly meltdown level stuff. And the first time they sort of blamed weather, the second time they couldn't do that because there wasn't any. Um, so oopsie. So are we in for a long summer? If the airlines try to run the schedules that they currently have published, I believe we are. I, I would even argue, I mean, if they're already constrained where they are and we get thunder, summer thunderstorms, I, I don't even think they need to adjust the schedules. Even if they adjust the schedules, I don't know if that'll make it better. Yeah. There was, I think one of one of the uh, Wall Street analysts put out the numbers. It was like, you know, the recovery is here kind of thing. And it was JetBlue was at 110%. Spirit was up. Speaking of, they, they canceled my flight. I know you want to talk about that. Six days in advance, they canceled my flight home for next weekend. Uh, um and, I'm, and it's Easter Sunday, so I don't know how the hell I'm getting home. So that'll be cool. Um, but th- there was, there's a lot of airlines that are greater than 100%. And they all keep saying how they're going to be hiring, right? JetBlue did, had a big press conference with the mayor of New York City talking about hiring 5,000 people. And they were doing interviews and hiring on the spot during the mayor while the mayor was there. And it was like, you know, great press event. But JetBlue is also facing huge turnover issues. They're, they're having a... Uh, disciplinary uh, actions with flight attendants are relatively high, the incident (laughs) numbers. So like basically flight attendants are getting in trouble for not showing up for work. And it's, you know, JetBlue is saying it's, you know, a sick out or whatever. And the flight attendant is saying, but we're sick. (laughs) Or like a family member is sick or whatever. I can't come to work. And there's been a lot about how uh, there's an expectation within any sort of airline or railroad or some of these other businesses that, people will pick up extra shifts. And so they overschedule just like they oversell seats. They overschedule flights, assuming that someone will come in and pick up the extra segments mm-hmm. and the extra trips. And like the employees are saying no, <laughs> essentially. And that's, it turns out that's a problem. You can't meet the schedule. People don't pick up the overtime and they're basically not paying enough for the overtime. So when, when you say they're at 110%, you're saying they're at 110% usage of their staff. Is that uh, sorry? The 110% of available seat miles relative to summer 2019. Oh, okay, so they're like up in how much they're covering. In capacity they're operating. Gotcha. And so yeah. like for JetBlue, that sort of is because like the, the A220s are bigger planes than the E90s. Now, there's only I think eight or ten in the fleet right now, so that doesn't explain all of it. They've got more uh, 200-seat A321s than they did before. So like there, there's some things like that that sort of explain it, but also not completely. Like they are, they are trying to fly a more aggressive schedule, and they have fewer people available to do it. And like, okay, fine, we can hire more, but like hiring more only helps if you can keep some of the ones you have around because, and this is something that was in the Alaska press release, like there's a training ramp up There's It takes, especially mm-hmm. for pilots and flight attendants, because there's regulatory around it, but like ground staff, yeah. a flight attendant buddy of mine was on me. They pulled in 45 minutes early and waited 30 minutes for a gate. And it's not because the gate was full. It's because they couldn't find someone to marshal them in and drive the jet bridge. Yep. And these, and these things stack up, right? When you're running turns, that 15 minute, you know, yeah. delay at the gate means misconnection potentially. So yeah. it's, and then, and then you can't turn that plane back. And if it's at an outstation, you can't turn that plane back. And it's, it's just, it piles on. Um, do you think the legacies see the same problem? To an extent? Yes. I think they are, they were more cautious in their uh, optimism of the booking and United, I think has been the most cautious of all. And so is seeing, a less significant impact. 
right? It's helped its rely it's helped United's reliability, relatively speaking. Yeah. But um they've all sort of I think drawn back a little coming into Q2 and then we'll see what happens really over the summer. But like American had to scale back because they didn't get their planes. Yeah. Which well, we talked about. I mean on the on the major side, right? The legacies, the where they're seeing the hit is in the regionals. Yes, very much so. So if you're if you're flying one of the regional carriers for American Delta or United, you could potentially see an issue because they're facing the same problems as Alaska and JetBlue, where it's regional pilot type stuff. Right? Yeah, there's some pilot shortage. We talked about that a lot with SkyWest trying to get out of some stuff and whatever. But yeah, yeah. there's uh, some bad scenes going on. This is. It seems like it's just bad. I mean, this is like a problem that should have been spotted ten years ago, right? As well, we did spot this two years ago when they're trimming everything. True. We called it out. <laughs> yeah. I, but I'm saying, like, even from a pilot shortage uh, overall, right, you have an aging pilot staff and not enough people coming into training programs to feed that shortage. And it's it's not a, it's not a quick turnaround. Even it's on expensive. Flight yeah, it's extremely More expensive. than it's not fast. It's expensive to become a pilot. I mean, so, it's $80,000, right? So, he, so this is, I mean, this is likely all fallout from the early retirement stuff they offered two years ago, right? right. There, there, there was something that was years ago, one of my friends shared uh, in regards to traffic, right? They were noticing, I forget, they were doing a study somewhere and traffic um, on a holiday, would there'd be no traffic. Like there'd be congestion, but there'd be no traffic. And literally on uh, on a normal day, when they counted the vehicles, it was a difference of like 2% of the vehicles, <laughs> but that two percent may it would basically. I mean, when you think of like a bucket, it's fine until you t- uh, fill it to the top. But the moment you go over, you're done. Same. Oh, problem. yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. It doesn't matter how much you go over. It just it could be a drop. It could be t- yeah. a, a gallon. You're over. Well, yeah. One, one, once you've saturated the system, it collapses. Yeah. Um, so I have some of these numbers here. I pulled them up. So the analyst number uh, from Cowan and Associates. Uh, Alaska Airlines for Q3 versus 2019 plans to run 107% of its ASMs. Allegiant 131, American 100, Delta 90, Hawaiian 107, uh, JetBlue 115, Southwest 107, Spirit 135, and United 99.9. Now, I ran, I compared that to then and went and looked at the employment numbers, and Alaska's at 97% of its staff compared to that time. Allegiance at 115, American 92, Delta 91, Frontier 117, uh, JetBlue 98. Uh, the regionals, Envoy, Republic, SkyWest are around 100, 94, 100, 106. SkyWest actually has more employees now than it did, but it's also got a way bigger volume because like ExpressJet is gone and some others. But um, Spirit's 125% of employment, United's at 87. So like, United's trying to run 100% of the ASMs so with 87% of the employees. Even seems aggressive. Seems aggressive to me, and that's not the worst of them. Like, it's crazy to compare some of these numbers. I'll put a link to this. I think, tw- I think these it, tweets that, that have the ch- numbers because there's no way anyone actually understood all that. Well, what right what here. stands out to me though is you you quoted one of the airlines as being like I think it was Allegiant or maybe it was Frontier. Allegiant, 135 percent. Yeah how how did they hire 135 percent above? Uh, Spirits at 125 percent employees. Allegiance at 115. Frontiers at 117. I mean that's that's uh, impre- good good on them. I guess. Well, they were also the earliest to start ramping up. Uh, yeah, they, they all started hiring. They all started rehiring faster. Yeah. Wow. And, and some of those people that retire, you know, took the early retirement package uh, from the legacies, might not might go back go to work for someone else. Could the people who took the early retirement come back 
into the workforce for the same airline? Or do they null and void their early retirement then if they do that? Why would you? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you got you got a buyout, you got all your benefits. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, and there's no, even if you come back in as a you know low seniority, whatever, on a different airline, like you've got all your benefits and whatnot covered and like you can work your whatever. I don't know. There's no incentive to go work for a big airlines, which or your original airline, uh potentially. Yeah, I mean I guess maybe you could argue that like they'd get their if they got their seniority number back and their pay scale based on the old rate, but highly unlikely. Yeah. yeah. Um let's let's talk about bus lines then, because <laughs> that's seems like that's the future. Uh, <laughs> Short haul service. I mean if it's a difference between flying a fifty seater that really shouldn't be operating a hundred mile route. So so or taking Eric- the bus. <laughs> Uh, I mean, American is is going to start uh, its its landline bus service from Philadelphia to Allentown and Atlantic City, um, and I didn't realize this, but it, it includes TSA screening. So that's the big deal, um, right? Uh, landline has been around for a while. United launched it in Colorado, mm-hmm. and then Sun Country picked it up for some connections at its Minneapolis hub. Uh, MSP. Now Americans doing it, but Americans version of it includes the TSA screening at the boarding area. So you get screened, your bag goes in the belly of the bus. It's not entirely clear to me where the bag is screened for a check bag, but it's treat you get your secure connection. Hmm. So, so no clearing security when you get to Philly. Right. So you still get the advantage of like, and you walk up like three minutes before the flight and clear in Allentown or Atlantic city. Yeah. So do they have someone from TSA who takes every bus? My understanding is that it's the door is sealed and like with an anti-tamper or whatever. And they track the, and they track the bus to make sure it doesn't stop anywhere basically. And that it makes good time. I mean, if you pull like a speed and ha- drive up next to them and open the door and jump across, maybe. Oh God. Okay. I mean, what's the night? I'm all in favor if if we can if they can do it right, getting a secure trans like having that be a secure ride. That's the ultimate if efficiency and convenience. But part of the advantage of flying, right? Particularly like I'm thinking Allentown to Philadelphia, right? I used to fly this fairly regularly, was the just avoiding the traffic. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, does it Someone, I mean, traffic you driving versus traffic someone else driving. Yeah. Well, no, no. Like, tra- like if you f- fly from Allentown to Philadelphia, it's a 15, 20 minute flight. You do it anywhere between like four o'clock and six thirty-seven. It's going to be like a two hour drive. And, and I don't know what time of days they've scheduled those quote unquote flights for the bus rides, but, and I agree with you. Like there's a challenge there. If it's scheduled, right. I mean, unless I take the bus to and from Logan all the time. Am I flying from PSM to Lo- to Boston? Essentially, on like if I could do that inside security, I'd be a super happy camper. And th- I'm effectively doing the same thing. It's an hour drive, an hour ten for me on the highway uh, when I do it myself. And if it's an hour and a half or an hour forty five because of the bus, like I'm okay with that because I'm not having to drive and someone else is dealing with the traffic and like paying attention and I can actually get work done. And it'd be cool if I was inside security when I got there. That's a nice. That is a nice uh, bit. The- and it's right. And like, and even without like being in sense secure, that would that's a bonus. But like, it's the right amount of time, and it's relatively consistent. I've done it at rush hour, even like for the. I've been on like the seven thirty a.m. or the eight thirty a.m. bus going in towards Boston, 
And it's 15 minutes slower. Part of that is because coming from the north, you sort of skip most of the idiocy of getting into downtown to get to Logan. Um, there's a route that goes around that you don't have to go through the bridges and what in the tunnels and whatever to get there. So uh, it's not that bad. But and yeah, I, I listen, if it's a two hour, two and a half hour bus ride instead of 45 minutes, that's going to be a problem. I'm sure they'll figure out how to work that into their schedules. But overall, I, I, I wish it was a train. I wish it was high speed train service that went straight to the airport and was a more comfortable, more convenient and avoided the traffic mode of transportation. But doing that on an airplane is a stupid thing to do. And six seater EV tolls is a stupid way to try to make it up. So, and aren't going to be around for a decade. So let's try it with this and see if it maybe helps. I, the only, the only, so sorry, Foz. The only thing I, I question, right, is is Philly the right place to do this? Is Philly that backed up? Or are they doing this simply because it's it's financially viable for them to do it? They're probably doing it because of a shortage of regional pilots. Yeah, among other things, right? Like, and those planes aren't cheap to operate. Yeah, and especially like there's fixed costs of a take. Like, there's parts of the maintenance and whatever are based on a takeoff and a landing. If you overuse the planes, even on you know these quick short flights, like your maintenance costs go up too. So some it's not just paying a pilot to fly back and forth eighteen times a day. It's also like the wear and tear on the planes and. You know, you talk about, you know, getting stuck in traffic at, at rush hour, but during the summer, that's also when the thunderstorms roll through and screws everything else up. And so, you know, maybe it works in your favor to not have to fly because those are the first planes to get canceled because they're too close. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. What were you going to say, Foss? Sorry, I cut you off. I don't remember. <laughs> I agree. Uh, uh, I mean, go. so, so I could, with on something. Could, you, <laughs> could, could you see United kind of doing the same thing at Fort Collins then? Right, because that's trying to get the CTSA in group. Yeah, because that's where they're at. Right, is Northern Colorado Regional Airport or whatever outside of Fort Collins. I think so. Oh, um, and had a couple up there, but yeah. Um, or I think like Rochester for Sun Country is it's out of a real airport. They could make it work there. I, I wonder why. I mean, I, presumably, Sun uh, Landline was working with the TSA all along and finally got buy-in to like run this program. So uh, after approving whatever else, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to extend it elsewhere. Yeah. The TSA part, but I haven't. That was actually one of the questions, and I never followed up with the PR company to have the interview. So who knows? Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about JetBlue and Spirit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Frontier and, and Spirit were kind of like announcing. They they did announce their intention to merge, uh, to become one, I guess. Uh, and then JetBlue stepped in and said, "No, no, no. We would like to buy Spirit." And make it into just a bigger JetBlue, convert all the planes to the JetBlue layout. Uh, somehow that's going to lower prices across the country, despite the obligation to raise all the fares for all the people that are typically traveling on Spirit, because otherwise JetBlue would lose money on every single one of those flights yep. with you know 15% fewer seats on board. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I think my favorite part was that it leaked before the official announcement was before the airlines made the announcement. The New York times got it first and two parts are great about this. It was, it happened the day that JetBlue was announcing it's Boston to London service. They had a big press conference and Robin Hayes, the CEO was up in Boston and uh, they couldn't, he couldn't be reached after it happened. Like reporters were calling him and trying to get a comment and he couldn't be reached because he was on a cell going back to, I think he lives in, Westchester, Connecticut, like north of Manhattan. And he was on the stretch of Amtrak up there where self-service is crap. 
<laughs> and I, I, I laugh especially because like two weeks prior, I was literally on the same section of track trying to have meetings. I was like, no, I can put, he's not, he's not lying on this one guys. The, like the cell service there is actually terrible. Um, even like the Wi-Fi on the train part cuts out because it's based on the cell service. But so that was super funny to me. But then afterwards, when the next morning during their investor call, when asked about the timing of the announcement, he's like, obviously like we were ready for it. We had all our slide decks and everything ready to go. We were able to release them to you immediately, but this is not when we wanted to do it. We put in the, they put in the, the offer over the weekend, the second and third. And officially it was, you know, whatever had their initial discussions, but that was also when, both Spirit and JetBlue were in the midst of canceling a third of their flights with the weather and whatever over Florida. And he's like, yeah, we thought that was a bad time to try to have this discussion. Like, good on you for acknowledging that you guys had screwed up so badly and maybe this was a bad, bad look. Wow. So, so um, this was, to me, this just seems like a play at jacking up the price for Spirit. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like a realistic play. To actually buy Spirit Airlines, <laughs> yes. I, mean, I, I, think, I think it's fear based, fear of someone, fear of other airlines getting too big, and then having no way to grow other than organic. Yeah, and so like the majors, right? The four, the four, the big four. I think it's pretty safe to say would not be allowed to have a merger under the current administration. Just they're too big and there's too much concern about competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stretches the next two years and whatever. So if you eliminate the four of them, um, Alaska and JetBlue are the next two biggest. And then Frontier and Spirit are right behind them. And Frontier and Spirit have way bigger order books. Mm. Actually, JetBlue has a surprisingly big order book. But um, that was like one of the things uh, Robin Hay said was like the way we see their order book and the timing of it in ours there's complements hours and stretches out a certain amount of time past hours that we can <clears throat> sort of continue to grow the back half of the decade without having to try to find new order slots and Airbus is sold out on a three twenties, I think through 2027 and maybe has some three twenty one slots, but not many, like obviously like when United showed up, it's like, yeah, we'd actually like something sooner than that. Airbus found a way to make it happen, but it's, it's hard to get, new Airbus planes before the end of the decade right now, unless you've already committed to that. And, you know, this is one of the ways that they want to try to keep growing is this existing order book. So, but I I tend towards your, uh, your sentiment there, Stephen, of like, maybe this is just trying to push the price up. Well, and, or or make it untenable, right? For Frontier and Spirit to merge. I, I feel like of the synergies, I hate that word. In business, but the synergies between Frontier and Spirit are better aligned than Spirit and JetBlue. So either way, you have to redo some of the interiors. Either way, but I think I think from a business perspective, like how they do business, yeah, Spirit looks they are selling to a certain market, and I would say that market is very similar. Yeah, and I, I think that sort of goes to my point about like JetBlue is talking about how doing this will allow them to be a better competitor against the big four. And suggesting that while those four airlines will ignore when Spirit or Frontier shows up in the market vis-a-vis pricing, if JetBlue shows up and cuts pricing, the the majors or the legacies will respond. 
And so that's their reasoning for how they're going to reduce costs, reduce airfares for people all around the country is they'll fly to more markets as JetBlue and the bigger airlines can't ignore them because when JetBlue shows up, people pay attention versus Spirit and Frontier where it's like, oh, if I have to kind of thing. But Yeah, I, get, I, I understand. I, I, but is the average passenger getting on any of those three airlines really paying attention to the airline itself versus the not looking for the nonstop and where they're trying to go and price. And the price. I think they're looking at solely a price. I don't even know yeah. they're looking at the nonstop. Well, unless I, you're, unless you're so, No, well, I would say Spirit, <laughs> JetBlue, and Frontier all do a lot more point-to-point flying, and JetBlue especially a very small percentage of its passengers connect. I would bet similar for the other two. I just haven't seen the data. I, but I think I think okay. So that's even a difference though. Like I think. Spirit, I would say the Spirit Frontier differences. Frontier has like some very defined, I would say some defined hubs, and then some kind of like defined uh, mini hubs that they that they fly out of. JetBlue has very defined hubs, and they've kind of given up on some of this point to point stuff, where they've you know yeah. Portland to Fort Lauderdale and all that crap. Mm, Fort Lauderdale's a hub. Yeah, well, Fort Lauderdale's a hub, but you know what I mean. Like they're they're not flying some of these random. Yeah, JetBlue routes. tried some more. Point-to-point stuff during the pan, uh, early days of the pandemic and has mostly pulled back on that. Uh, those were easy ones to cut when it had to, like, rationalize its operation because that's places where, like, if your flight attendants are out of position, they're out of position and you can't backfill them because they're three yeah. flights away <laughs> from where you are, yeah. um, where you have a base. Um, no, I think, though, there's definitely some of that. What was interesting is Spirit had started moving in a lot of markets towards a – at least potentially being able to cater to some business travelers like yep. DFW, the growth there, they had a bunch of markets where it's a couple times a day, not all selling, of them. And they're selling big front seat or whatever. Some big front seat at a competitive price. Like there's all of those things versus frontier that like still has a surprisingly large number of routes that are three to four times a week. Yeah. More allegiance style. Um, which is sort of another, like, did they get involved in this? If, if, if JetBlue and Spirit ended up tying up with Frontier and Allegiant need to, to try to maintain uh, size, right, and scale to compete, and does that screw the Boeing order from Allegiant? So, but, so here, here's a kind of a follow-up question to that. Why JetBlue and Spirit instead of JetBlue and Frontier? Is it the order book piece? They have similar order books. Um, so it's not that. That is a good question. Uh, I mean, I could maybe uh, JetBlue didn't want to deal, deal with uh, Biffle. Maybe it's that the because so much of Frontier is still owned by, even though it's traded publicly now, a big chunk of it is still owned by Indigo Partners. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of private. Um, it also could be that it's tied to the way the initial offer was made. Uh, there was a lot of talk, and it was the, the term a superior offer. Um, is a very specific turn of phrase, which like, you know, it's not that we have a better office, we have a superior offer. And it turns out that that's a, a legal term in the original Spirit Frontier deal, where after reviewing it, Spirit put out a release saying, we have determined that this is potentially a superior offer and, and thus our deal with Frontier can now be suspended while we figure it out. I think that's a big part of it is like, it allow, the if they went after Frontier, it wouldn't necessarily allow them to unravel the spirit mm. deal. Gotcha. So, I mean, I would argue that spirit probably has better overlap with JetBlue's markets than Frontier. 
is that a good thing or a bad thing? You're right that they're mostly East Coast, or there's a there's a heavy East Coast bias, and that has had a lot of people saying there's no way the regulators will approve it because of that. I look, there's a surprisingly only about a I want to say like a sixth of the routes overlapped. If I looked at like the total number of routes across both airlines and then where there was overlap, it was, it was actually the region wise. It's very, it looks very heavy on the East coast and into the Caribbean, but the total number was actually lower than I thought it would be. But is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, it would help concentrate their business. So they're not spreading themselves so thin, right? Same, same similar markets from yes, the routes aren't exactly the same, but you're concentrating all your marketing and your focus. Right. Like you, you look back to mm. you know, 20 years ago, like we'll look at what hubs existed back then for the airlines. Like you look at us air, they had Philly and Charlotte mm-hmm. before the merger and they did fine. They survived for years. Continental had Cleveland, Newark and Houston, right? They were much more regionalized back then. Not to say they didn't go out of their regions, but it was very limited. Yeah. Mm. So, no, I don't know. The, the, the whole thing is crazy. I, I think a big part of it is probably trying to drive the price up, right? We'd have to remember that JetBlue, while I think it would have been a better partner for Virgin America when Alaska Airlines ended up winning that bidding war, I think that at, at one point JetBlue was like, "Oh no, we're still here. We're gonna, we're gonna, we'll throw another hundred million on the pot, in the pot and see what happens to sort of like try to push the price up a little bit once they realized they weren't going to win." Calling so, the bluff. Yeah. I and it makes you wonder is, is does Alaska look back on that deal today and go I wish we just would have let JetBlue take it <laughs> at times I wonder if that's what they're thinking no because I think they kept it out of the Bay Area yeah that's true it's true um, let's talk about United and Dulles a real concourse for concourse proposals in proposals in and, and like, the the uh... I think the plan is uh, it's going to cover. They're depending on uh, like the infrastructure bill, the main, the big funding from the mm-hmm. federal government to basically pay for it. But half a billion dollars, fourteen gates, and it's going to be at the real uh, C station for the air train. But fourteen gates is Not a much. fraction is a fraction of what the current CDPR is. Yes, that's what I was going to say. For half a billion dollars, that's well, a lot of money. Everybody has to take their cut. Half a billion dollars for 14 gates. You could build a new airport. No, you can't. We talked about this last week. You can't put an <laughs> No, you can't. Find the land, Stephen. Uh, I know. But that is just, that is nuts. They've already got the land here. <laughs> yeah, just knock the whole thing down. <laughs> and, they've, and they've already got the hole in the ground. <laughs> well, I mean, you think about it. They could actually go out and build it. What is that? Uh, the far west runway. Uh, one left. They could build it in between that runway and... Uh, one center. No, there's not that much space between those two. Yeah, it's just, ah, you could do it. You could make it work. You need place, would... you know, space to push back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, the, the alternative is 14 gate hard stand in Denver for a frontier. <laughs> but how much are they paying for that? Much less. <laughs> they actually, I, don't, I didn't see a number in the, in the release, but let's go ahead and assume it's significantly less. They're talking about doing front and rear boarding. At Denver, and I just that, that, I can't wait to do that in the middle of winter. It's going to be great. So a lot of people are like, oh, it's not that cold. It's not that cold. Like that's a you know an assessment you could make. Um, <laughs> the number of days, it's like only eight days below twenty or something like that. Like okay, but those are still really crappy days. And the, I did like there was so, like between thirty and fifty days of de-icing a year. 
Yeah, that's that's the problem. It's wet, like yeah. snowy and gross. I mean, but are they are they de-icing at the gates there? Because I thought they had the hard sand areas for de-icing. It it doesn't matter. I, I, my, I mean, it doesn't matter. My interpolation of that data, though, is those are days where it's going to be really, really bad as a passenger to have to use a hard stand. It's already going to be bad. You're flying Frontier. <laughs> Your flight's not going to be canceled. You're not going to be walking outside. That, that's that's Foz's point. <laughs> I mean, you chose to fly Frontier. Of course, you're not, it's not going to be a pleasant experience. I now it just starts before you get on the plane. True. But I think the the problem, Foz, is that as you as you do have these bad days, right? It is wet outside. It is disgusting. It is not fun for a hard stand on these on these days because they they don't necessarily clear the ramps, right? Well, like they clear them enough for the, the plane to push back. It also bigger, like guess I go ahead. I was going to say the bigger problem is people are going to get hurt going up stairs. Yeah, in bad weather, right? Yeah. That's the bigger dragging a suitcase point. to try to get in the overhead, which at least Frontier charges for, so there'll be fewer of them. I don't know, but like it's there's a lot of risk there, um, and the other part of it is like they're talking they're going to make they're going to uh, have turn times by using front and rear boarding, which like listen, I've done it many places in the U.S. Long Beach is known for it, like which by the way, like 380 days of sunshine a year. Um, 380? And, yeah, it's really very sunny there. There's only 365 um, days in a year. Yeah, uh, well, my math might be off. Um, <laughs> but like, there's places where it makes sense uh, from a climate perspective, and I just don't think Denver's one of them. Like, there's too much variety. Also, like they have thunderstorms in the in the summer. It's not exactly just snow. Um, and but my comment was like, sure, it's great, except like during all those days where there's de-icing, it's going to be slower because you got to wait till people take their jackets off when they got on board. Yep, and, and you're like, doing that from the front and back. Yeah, and like it's just gonna. It, there's a whole thing. Um, I I think so. To me, this experience sounds like the experience at Dulles, since we're talking about Dulles a little bit too, of the A gates that United uses. Have you, yeah. you guys have you guys flown through these when it's a bad when it's bad weather? Oh yeah, it's like a pool. Like you're like I came out of there one week completely just sopping wet. This reminds me of 35x at DCA. Oh yeah. <laughs> May, yeah. may it rest in peace. <laughs> I guess uh, Frontier took the baton. Yeah. So let's go back to Dulles real quick. I want to talk about this. So the, you're saying that the new terminal will be over the C train, like where right. the actual stop is for the C train. So it's basically the first deposit on building the permanent terminal to replace the current CD temporary space that's 40 years old. And so is the goal is the goal there? They're going to close those gates down, I'm guessing knock that section down and just build that. And so not United will be down those gates at Dulles. Why would they demolish anything until everything is done? I, I just don't know how you build that. You don't have, you don't have any space to build. Oh it. yeah. You, where the train is, there's nothing there except the building for the train station. Would you have any issues with the planes pushing back into the existing temp here? There's a lot of space between. Yeah, I just haven't measured it. There's a lot of space between the, where the new pier is and where the old pier is. So, Okay, so maybe I'm looking at the map wrong because I'm trying to look at Google Maps while we're talking about this. The train station is south of the C terminal, right? Yes. And it's like got like three, it looks like ventilation shafts or whatever underneath, like on top of it, like where it would be. Is that, am I looking at the right thing? Probably. I'm going to pull it up. So are they then going to build the terminal facing north south? Like, no, the- I imagine they go east west just like the AB terminal. Yeah, it's got to run parallel. Oh, so they would lose. Okay, so they're building it. I see what you're saying. They lose where, those two taxiways. Yeah, it's where all the planes park right now. Yeah, okay. 
Okay. Interesting. Okay. I mean, all right. A half a billion dollars for that to get a quarter of an airport. All right. A quarter. It's more like a tenth. I'll I'll bite. (laughs) Um, Hey, don't worry about the feds are paying. Yeah. That's, yeah. Interesting. I I mean, I guess it's good. It's good. It's good for Dulles. I mean, um, it, it will be good for passengers in the long term if they actually finally start and get that terminal built. Although, if it stays split for an extended period of time, that's less good. That's what I was going to say. Was like if D stays over where it's at, and this terminal operates as its own for however long. I don't know that that's a win really for passengers. So, I mean, it's no different than A and C, or you know, A going from the A concourse to the C D concourse, or vice versa. Yeah, I mean. I guess the upside with the way C and D is now is it's just one long hallway. <laughs> yeah, but if you're if you have to go to A, yeah, true. Right, and yeah. the problem is, I mean, think about it, from C D. There's like you, it's an, it's a walk. There's no moving walkways. There's nothing. Yeah, that is well, a long walk. You know what you do is you take the the bus, the moon buggy, over, back over to and then back across <laughs> to D. Exactly. <laughs> if the timing works out, that's great. But if the timing's not going to work out well, <laughs> then you're running. Yeah. Oh, uh, yep. Um. Let's see what else we got here. I want to talk about deportation. Oh, yeah. In Belize. Tell me about this. This is just a funny story I heard. But um, a friend of a friend uh, lost their passport, got a replacement passport, as one does, was going on a trip to Belize, uh, threw their passport in their bag. A couple. This has happened a couple months after they lost it. Threw their passport in their bag, got to the airport, swiped it in, whatever, landed. Upon landing, there was a sort of a guy with a sign announcement like, Passenger Smith, please come to the counter. Mm-hmm. Guy walks over. Turns out he abused his old stolen or lost passport, which had been canceled. Oops. And so he was oh. traveling on an invalid passport and arrived without a valid passport and was deported from Belize. Put on the so- next flight. They And it was, it was the interesting part to me is that by the time they sorted it all out, he was coming from the East Coast. It was either like Charlotte, Miami, or Atlanta. The next flight out was to Los Angeles. And that's where he was sent. Because it's the next flight to the United States. Because it's the next flight to the United States. And the government didn't care. Get him out of here. Um, Got back to Los Angeles, flew back to the East Coast. In the meantime, of course, sorted out what happened. Called someone. They went into his house, found his passport, the the new one, the valid one. Took it over to the airport, dropped it off in his car in the garage. When he landed back at home, went to the car, got the new passport, went back into the terminal, and then flew to Belize again the next day. Took him like three days to get to Belize. So when he explained the situation, they <clears throat> they didn't like put any I guess hold on his pa- his his travel to Belize then. So yeah, it, that so that that was the surprising part to me. Is like yes, yeah, so if you're deported, often that means like and don't come back. Yeah. Uh, this time he did not have that issue, but also the best part was like after like afterwards the he was meeting like. I'd, like it was a family vacation or this and that. And like, maybe it was a spouse's family or something like they were meeting another group of people there. And so he thought it was being punked. He thought that they had found a way to play a joke on him. Like, Oh yeah, you'll have the immigration people meet me and like screw with me a little bit, but then I get to go. And now he got deported. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> so <laughs> what I'm saying is if you, you know, if you lose your passport and you find it and you get the new one, you get the, you get a new one, but then you get the old one back, punch the holes in it. Like they do when they cancel your passport for real so that it can't be scanned and swiped and you won't accidentally reuse it. So he reported it lost, got a new passport and yeah. didn't, didn't realize, well, how is he going to know to put holes in it? Well, cause he didn't know. He, listen, that's why people should listen to our podcast for insightful information like this. But, but I'm saying Seth, he didn't know that it was his invalid passport. 
he, like he thought it grabbed was the wrong. He should right. Well, he found it again and realized he had both, but then grabbed the wrong one out of the drawer. When oh, he, I see. I see. I see. Okay, so he knew it was the wrong one. He, well, he should have. But yeah, yeah. Mistakes yeah, made. Mistake. Well, many. But I just like the whole deportation and how that all happened. But him doing like the full loop and getting sent to the wrong side of the country and all that. This was an amazing sort of travel trip report, if you will. Fun, fun I, new I, lines. I mean, I would have just probably given up. Like. <laughs> I just been like, all right, I'm just gonna go home. Uh, y'all have fun, <laughs> Belize. <laughs> well, but that's look, me. To be fair, you might not have made it to Belize in the first place. <laughs> this is this is true. This is true. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that was too easy. So, so we were talking about whatever. I'm just gonna ignore you. Um, we were talking about your travels, Seth, to Florida. Yes. And you, you're in Florida right now. Trying to get home trying to get home spirit has canceled your flight and part of what's going on with ticket prices is that northeast jet fuel prices are skyrocketing that's what foss put a link to in the show notes um there's just there's some shortage fears and it's spiking fuel prices it's up like over seven dollars a gallon it's like almost eight bucks and like there's like a ship coming from france with jet fuel at this point which i'm like how is that efficient like do it yeah uh, is there a concern that we don't have enough raw supply to refine? I, I, it is unclear to me what the what the concern is or what's going on. But there's, I guess, there, there's constraints on the pipeline, and then there I mean, are refiner outages on the west coast. Which again, I don't understand why that would impact the east coast. Well, because then the stuff that like is manufactured in the middle get, moves west instead of east. Like, I mean, even if the U.S. doesn't import oil from Russia, which our numbers were were pretty low even before the Ukraine situation, the war there. Um, other people that did, who are now trying to re- import less from Russia, would find themselves fighting over supply with the other countries that didn't. And so I sort of get that. But yeah, the seven the near $8 a gallon, like doesn't make a lot of sense but yes the the skyrocketing prices has been a big problem so i just i just read the article i just read the article really quick so i think there's a couple of interesting pieces here so east coast relies on the texas and new jersey colonial pipeline which we we've known um and imports from europe so apparently imports from europe is a normal thing with for refined products on east coast didn't know that um but the other piece is that in pipeline all the way across the atlantic yeah. Um, <laughs> Terrible idea. The Only if we build a, a bridge. The internet is a series of tubes, gentlemen. So um, <laughs> what, else, what the other piece that is interesting to me is that refiners in 2020 were starting to reduce their distillate inventories. So they were, they were basically blending their jet fuel. So everything extra they had in 2020, they were blending it into diesel. Or refer, refining it more into gasoline because the, the demand for jet fuel was so low. And it's still about 5% below 2019 levels. So now you take already having less stock available and refiners trying to catch up, add that to the Ukrainian situation and Europe needing. Because I didn't know this, but apparently Russia is the largest distillate provider for Europe. So they refine to jet fuel for Europe. Oh, I believe that. So it, there's there's a lot going on in this article. I think I think we should definitely put it in the show notes, Seth, because it's it's it just drives home the complexity of the fuel industry um, and why gas prices don't match oil price. Anyway, we could go into a whole show just about that. But 
we're terribly unqualified for it, but it'd be fun. Yes, fascinating stuff. So, um, it, jet fuel. And this is, I think, this is a key line here. Uh, the spread between U.S. heating oil and crude futures is about forty three dollars compared to fifteen fifty a year ago. Jet fuel is heavily aligned with heating oil as they're both middle distillates. So it, it's in the middle of the stack, and the forty three dollar difference between yeah. heating oil and crude futures. And, and I will say, I mean, gasoline prices by me unleaded has started coming back down. Diesel, which is heating oil, right? So they're both yep. basically the same thing, uh, which I guess sort of aligns then with the gas uh, with jet fuel, is still going up by me. Yeah. So it's I'm seeing it, you know, in in real life as well, but not quite eight dollars a gallon, but mid fives for yeah. diesel by me. And diesel, I think they because diesel is heating oil, but it's also heating oil with additives and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it probably gets priced a little differently as they go to as it goes to distribution. Sure. So but, that, that's yeah, and how but, it's being sold on yeah. the wholesale market and all that. Stuff. Yeah, I, I just remember like I, somewhere where they were telling like if you're if the fuel oil heater your boiler runs out and you're in a pinch and can't get a delivery, go buy a couple gallons of uh, yep. diesel and it won't it won't destroy anything and you can at least like get some heat get some hot exactly. water. Exactly. So. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing is d- demand, right? Look at how many people are still working from home. So gas demand would be lower than diesel, whereas diesel is mostly uh, shipping. Yeah. I mean, I think... Well, driving talking. miles is actually back up, though. Even though people are working from home, I have to find those statistics. But I think, like, road miles consumed, whatever, is... We're back to about par of 2019 levels again. Surprisingly. Um. So, I mean, I think it's some interesting stuff. So, Seth, what are you going to do? Like, what is your plan to get home? Well, well I got to get a new ticket. My options and the big problem I have is we left our car up at Manchester, mm-hmm. which normally we don't do. normally go to the bus station and go to Boston. But we found this great nonstop from Orlando to Manchester that was the right time and this and that. Um, except for the part where it got canceled, but we left our car there. Um, there's a flight from Elite Airways has a flight from San Augustine to Portland, which if we had flown out of Portland, I would have done that. But it's 8 a.m. And so that's an early, early morning after Passover Seder to wake up and try to drive mildly hungover to catch an early flight. Uh, so that's and then commute two hours at the other end. So that's not happening. Um, the options to get to Manchester, the only other nonstop I could find is a Southwest flight in the morning from Orlando to Manchester. And it's six hundred dollars a person. So that's not happening. Um we'll end up flying to Boston and taking a bus and, you know, throwing away a few hours of our life and being annoyed. So, and then how will you get from Boston to Manchester? Uh, there's a bus. That's how we, we actually flew oh, out gotcha. of Boston. So we dropped the car at Manchester and then took the bus down to Boston and we'll just do that in reverse. I got you. Okay. So it's just more of a pain, but it's, what are your options from Orlando to Boston? Is it Delta and JetBlue mostly? Yeah. Delta and JetBlue are the, basically the options. Um, uh, and Spirit has a flight. And nice. so it's like, do I trust that Spirit will actually operate that one? Having canceled this one, you know, six days in advance, do I trust that JetBlue will operate anything next weekend? There's there's a lot of considerations. Or do you just do you just fly United via Newark? Or do I just move to Florida? I don't know. I mean, you're there. Half, yeah, it's half the battle. I, I you have to go get your stuff. Lot, I like New Hampshire a lot better. <laughs> it, I mean, oh, the, by the way, I would know. say keep an eye on the airfares because. At least some of the majors are doing the same thing they were doing at the beginning of the pandemic, where the prices are dropping closer. Yeah, no, I, I need to lock something in. I just, I, whatever the numbers aren't that bad. The six hundred dollars I'm not going to pay, but there's a couple two hundred, two hundred fifty dollars seats, and I'll get something refunded from Spirit. I don't, I didn't pay that much, but I didn't pay nothing. So, are um, there any mileage seats? I didn't even look, but if I did that, it'd be on the majors, and they're not, stu- they're not that stupid. It's Easter Sunday, man. There's going to be demand, so. 
Have have either of you done the ferry from downtown Boston to the airport? No, but it goes from the Hyatt. By accident, sort of. Yeah, because it's like right by the Hyatt. Yeah, so I did it. I did it when I flew Tailwind. We tried Uh to do the seaplane from. Yeah. yeah. The seaplane from Boston to the East River, uh, and we had we got uh, diverted at both ends. So I took the ferry, like you take the ferry out to the plane, but instead of going to the plane, we went across to the Hyatt, and then got on the Hyatt's shuttle bus. Like had to like walk up the stairs and around to the front of the Hyatt, and then got on the Hyatt shuttle bus to go to the terminal. So they don't have like a bus that goes to the the terminal. You use the, the Hyatt. You use the Hyatt shuttle. I got you. Okay. Uh, is or maybe there is separately a bus, but that's what we used. Okay. And they were expecting us, so it seemed normal. Okay. Well, might have to try it next time I'm out there. I was just wondering. Um, got a few topics. Are you supposed to the Silverline? Yeah, just I'm just thinking about fun commuting. Make how about how to make my life harder when I'm traveling. So. <laughs> Uh, admitting these things. Yes. Um, we got some rumors about Delta in the bonus show. Uh, some Bamboo uh, Airlines founder stock screw-ups. And a uh, pilot who is a congressman. Maybe. So if you're a Patreon subscriber... It's not this. maybe. He very much is. <laughs> uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to be suspenseful here. All right. Um, that's going to be in the bonus show for our Patreon subscribers. Uh, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, go sign up. Um, but if not, we'll talk to you next week. Happy travels. Bye-bye. See you later.